All right, it's time for Bob's record collection. Today we're going to pivot it to Dave's record collection, and we're going to share my interview, one of my favorites of the year, with music icon Melissa Etheridge. I think Ass Kicker covers a lot of who you are, doesn't it? <laughs> I appreciate that. That might be one of my favorite descriptions. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> well, you know what? You wrote um, a memoir a couple of decades ago. How was the writing process for you for this book so many years later? I mean, you're, you're a different person, evolved in so many ways. Oh, everything's so different now. It, it was uh, just, you know, the, the, the spirit of where it was coming from. You know, the the first book was like, oh, this happened to me, and then this happened to me, and then and this and this, and this is how I, you know, wrote the songs, and this is what this meant. And now it just well, it's a different of looking. It's the difference of looking at your life when you're thirty and when you're sixty. It's really, you know, your your life. Uh, there's some deeper meanings, deeper yeah. stories you know, to put in this book. I know. I'm sure you look back at at the first book when you were writing this one and said, well, okay. I, you know, I, that's how I thought about it at that time. Now I see it yeah. a little bit differently, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the way, like, I mean, even the way we think of our parents, you know, and when you're 30, you're still kind of blaming your parents for a lot of stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, when you're 60, then you, you have a little bit more empathy for your parents because you're a parent yourself. And, and you realize, oh, wow, my parents were just human beings doing the best they could. Yeah, it is about, there's a couple things. It's about doing your best and, and seeing it that way. And also the intention, you know, like did somebody on your journey intend to do that or, or was it just, it was what it was because they didn't know any better. Right. Yeah. So much of that. I mean, time changes so much. How do you find writing like these books different from other mediums, writing music, um, writing for the theater, which, which you're, you've done like what, what's different about, about this memoir? Well, I, I think of them as, as like containers, and a song is about a three- or four-minute container mm-hmm. of a moment, you know, and I, and I have that space to craft with words and rhythm and music something that, that entertains, that, that, that uh, you know, can delight or move someone. And then I think of the, like, the, the Broadway show that I'm doing right now, it's, that's two hours that I have to right. tell story, to sing, to, you know, move people. And, and it's a, it's, there's a bit more crafting going on there because you have more time and you really want to, you know, build the moment. And then a book is like, oh, gosh, you've got it. There's so much space there. Right, right. And uh, you still have to, there's still stuff you, you know, I could go on for right. days, <laughs> you know, so it's just this t- sort of space you have to, to craft the, the story in. 
Well, you talk about, and I, and I love so many parts of this book, but this is about changing your choices, which you wrote, which I like very much. You talk about how those changes changed your life, and that's pretty much how you've lived your life, right? Yeah. The As things have, have come along to me, as, as um, you know, I as, as things unfold, I, I've realized things don't happen to me. They they unfold for me, and then it's my choice how I perceive them. Mm-hmm. And um, each one is 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 a step. I, I think I've I've learned now in my sixties to to not be knocked over by things anymore. To understand that that this is what shapes and and leads me to ask for different things and bring in things in my life. So those changes, all changes, are good. And so different, as you said earlier, from your younger self. It's just a different. It's a different viewpoint on on life and and what you can do with those choices. I love that you just said that. That you just things weren't happening to her; they were happening and presented for you to make those other choices, right? Yeah, and once once I really came to that uh, sort of belief about how my life is, it it just it helps with the stress so much. I think now it's. Nowadays, I mean, I started realizing after cancer that while stress is either I have a hold of it or, or it has a hold of me. And so uh, right. to, to really know what stress does, does to me and my health and, to, and then to live and understand that I have choices in, in all of this. Well, and you talk about those choices even early on in the book. You said when you were young. You know, you made the decision to use your mental en- energy only on creating music. Um, what what made you focus just on that at that time? Well, it was it was the thought of well, it was it was what was available to me at the at the time. You know, I I started writing, and then that opened up the uh, possibility of. I mean, I started playing music, and that opened the opportunity to write. And once I started writing, then the music became a uh, uh, a vehicle for it, and and I just and I loved it, so I did it every day, every day, every day, every day, every day, with with this great love and excitement. And then it got better and better and better, and I just was like, "Ooh, let's see how far this can go." And, and I took it, you know, a, a, a large way. <laughs> I went, yeah. you know, it went very large, and and then you, you, you know, just that you realize it's not the end result that is the most satisfying because the end result is like, Oh, there it is. And then you kind of wake up the next day and move on. It's, it's the journey. It's, it's, it's the fun in creating it and dreaming that dream and going, Ooh, maybe I can write a book. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you, and then you put it all there. Maybe I can do this on stage and maybe I can present my life in an artistic way that can inspire and fill people up and, and, and you you just go try to do it, and that's the fun part. Well, and I think it's it's no secret that when we talk about entertainers, you know, their best work comes out of life's challenges. So they say, out of out of tragedy comes comedy. Out of life's challenges comes great music. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the the path, isn't it? Yeah, I always say poor choices make great songs. It's <laughs> <laughs> lovely. I love that. I love that. All right, I'm going to quote your book a little bit here because I, I love uh, several things in here. The summer of 82, I drove west from Kansas to California on my own, determined to pull out 
all that came behind me, before behind me, the burdens of my childhood, my attempts to be a so-called normal girl and date guys, my brief stint in Boston, and to chart a new life for myself. I had $300 in my wallet as I set out for LA, a yellow hatchback, a Stevie Wonder run-in, determined to make it. And that just tells of such a cathartic time of not letting anything or anyone stand in your way, no matter what it took. Yeah, and it wasn't like I had a lot of obstacles. Probably the biggest obstacle was my own fear. And, uh, you know, once you just say, hey, I'm doing it no matter what, then then you, you kind of, once you walk through a fear, you see that it dissipates, and, and then you're on the road. You're doing it. And you're also a football fan, specifically the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good I'm time. having a good time these last <laughs> few years. I'm sorry about those bears. <laughs> yeah, thanks for the condolences. I appreciate that. But I've been there. I have, You have my sympathy. Yeah, yeah. But it's a great time to be a, a fan of Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he's so good. And, and some big Super Bowl wins. So, you know, you stick it out until those moments happen, right? Yes, you do. You do. I, I waited 50 years. I, I was <laughs> right. like, there you go. Here we go. All right, music icon Melissa Etheridge. Every year on my show, I share my favorite conversations of the year. Yesterday was Henry Winkler, which you can find at WGNRadio.com. And today is a very funny conversation with comedian Nikki Glaser. Now, what you just heard, we did clean it up for morning radio for sure, uh, but I kept the disclaimer in that we originally aired. Uh, here is comedian Nikki Glaser. The following interview with comedian Nikki Glaser is intended for mature audiences only. A guy asked me to call him daddy in bed recently. Um, and it was Father's Day, so I was like, okay, I'll give it to you. But... I wanted to tell you how hard it was to find clean enough clips to put on terrestrial radio because you know, you want to. It shouldn't be that hard. Can I just say that? I know that I'm a little dirty birdie, but I have done the Tonight Show five times. I've done yeah. Conan once, uh, stand up. I've done also his couch. I've done. Um, you know, I've done people think of me as like the like I'm um, a porn star or something like <laughs> keep her away from kids. But I am I'm very capable of being clean. So I'm sorry that it was so hard for you. But um, yes, I mean, I am um, kind of a known as a dirty comic sex comic. Yeah. Um, which I don't think you were doing just then, but I think it's a way to dismiss uh, what I do. Uh, I, I, don't, I really don't. I'm not saying that that's you're a very nice person and, and you don't seem like a, a sexist at all. But I think Thank it you. is a way that people like to dismiss uh, female comedians because all they do is talk about sex. And listen, yeah, all I do is talk about sex sometimes because it's what's it's it's what's interesting to me. It's not because I'm like. Oh, this is uh, the easy thing to do, or this will get people to be shocked, and yeah. this is my way in. You know, yeah. like I um I only talk about what I'm into talking about, and so if I'm talking about sex, it's generally because I'm I'm that's something that's fascinating to me at that time, not because I'm like I have so much of it I can't wait to tell everyone. <laughs> it's usually because I'm like, isn't this weird? This yeah. thing we do, and yeah. I kind of want to talk about it. But sure. um, I will say my new hour of material. 
um, is shockingly uh, 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 probably 15% about sex, which is like a big downgrade for me. I think, uh, you know, my last special was called Good Clean Filth because it was like mostly about sex. And um, (laughs) but I always said I've been saying this for years when I'm not interested in sex anymore, I'll stop talking about it. And I guess at the age of 39 is when my hormones are starting to shift in a way that (laughs) I'm just not interested in it anymore. Much to the chagrin of my boyfriend, yeah, but yeah. Um, to, for the enjoyment of of, of of an audience that I haven't maybe been able to access yet, um, I am talking about other things. Um, and so, yeah, I, I never knew when it would happen that that shift for me. Yeah. But I think I've kind of, I think I'll probably get into talking about it again when new things pop up for me as I age uh, of that interests me about it. But I kind of covered a lot of what I wanted to in the past. You know, three specials. Uh, I I've done three plus specials. I've done two half hours and three hours, and I'm getting ready to record a new hour this December. So that's awesome. Yeah. So it's um yeah it's ever changing, but it's just yeah. I guess I (laughs) I I just I like talking about things that other people aren't talking about. Not because I making it uncomfortable. You got to do that a little bit. Making the uncomfortable comfortable because I don't like making people uncomfortable, and I think that's also a misconception about what I do. Is that I love to make people squirm in their seats. I love when (laughs) the worst thing for me is when I meet people after a show and they're like, "Oh my god, I brought my dad. This was terrible." (laughs) Like I'm like, "Why would you?" dad like i don't i don't want people to feel uncomfortable what i want is for people to leave and feel a little bit more comfortable talking about those things and not feeling like criminal about having opinions about these things because i think we especially in the midwest i'm from st louis like we carry a lot of shame about everything you know just guilt some shame guilt about just anything that we think (laughs) about that might not be so nice you know um and I think I want we're all just trying to do our best. And sometimes we have really weird thoughts and I want us all to feel a little <laughs> bit more. Yeah. OK, about those, because, um, yeah, I grew up just having the, the craziest thoughts and saying the weirdest things and being very shamed for them. Like, girls don't talk that way. Don't say that. That weirds everyone out. And now I make money doing it. So it's kind of, um, it's nice. <laughs> yes, but that's I, right. yeah. I want to release that shame a little bit for myself and, and others. But too. you talk about people bringing their parents. I'm sure your parents have seen your show. Is that yes. uncomfortable for you? Or them? Um, for me, just became a little bit uncomfortable ah. recently because I'm just, I think I grew a conscience in the past, <laughs> you know, five or so years before then I really couldn't consider it because if you do, you wouldn't be able to do what I do. You know, like it's if you, true. if you let that in at all, it's kind of the way I feel about ghosts. Like I don't believe in ghosts, but that's just for me to survive. If I, I kind of <laughs> do, but I won't let it in because if I believe in ghosts, I'll be scared all of the time. Yeah, yeah. So I've just convinced myself they don't exist so I can like live peacefully in hotel rooms across <laughs> the country by Fair. myself. Yeah. So I guess I just live in a world where when I'm on stage or when I'm creating something, my parents don't exist. Their opinion of me doesn't exist because if it did, I wouldn't be able to do what I no, do. And um, and and the times they have been in the room, I I. I've said this before. I mean, I don't know if they'll be at my Chicago show, but if they are, it won't be a different show than if they weren't in the room. Because I always say, you know, if I went to go see Cardi B and she was like, my dad's here tonight, I can't do WAP. Uh, if you know what that stands for, you know what it stands for. You'd be like, you're my favorite song you can't do because your dad's here like that. Don't 
disservice us because you're you feel weird it's in true. front of your dad so yeah. my parents know that when they come to a show i'm not going to hold anything back and they really wouldn't want me to but that's not to say that it doesn't make them wildly uncomfortable and my dad once said early on in my career that when he tells himself that i'm like howard stern that mm. although and um it's not like he we worship howard stern in my house we do now but at the time he said it like i didn't really know much about howard stern but i guess my dad had this like him up on a pedestal of someone who sometimes gets in trouble, sometimes yeah. gets scoffed at and people think is just so dirty, but he's just honest. And he said to me, I just tell myself, you're like Howard Stern. You're just being honest. <laughs> and a- I loved that. And that's what became, that was the moment I go, who's this Howard Stern guy beyond what I knew from like private parts. And then, and now I'm the biggest Howard Stern fan because my dad made that comparison. And, and now I look at Howard and I'm like, he is just honest. And that's why people don't like him. If they don't like him, it's like he's saying the things that we all don't want to admit to ourselves or hear or admit about ourselves. And um, so, yeah, but my parents have really done a good job of um, handling this. But I will say my dad says when he goes to my shows, people come up to him afterwards and like put their arm around him. And they're like, are, are you, you okay, okay, man? <laughs> like almost like he's at my funeral or something. <laughs> Ah, like that. are you good they send a casserole <laughs> later that week to the house i um, love that <laughs> yeah so i just lucked out with them because they would never want to censor me my mom has told me you know what if you weren't my daughter i wouldn't enjoy what you do and i'm always like wait i think you're supposed to say if you weren't my daughter i could enjoy it and she goes <laughs> no the only reason i put up with this is you're my daughter it's ah, not my type of humor and i'm yeah. like well, mom and she's like i'm sorry i don't like it i think it's sick and I go, oh, that's why I do it is because <laughs> it's a little bit of rebellion against my parents. I hope so. Kind of puritanical, um, <laughs> not puritanical because we we definitely joked about, um, you know, not dirty things. But I, I had a great upbringing of a house of just like irreverent, like hilarious, no holds barred comedy in my house. But in terms of sex, we never spoke of sex in my house. I still no. haven't gotten the sex talk from my parents. I don't know what it is. That's why I'm just that's why I'm trying to figure it out on stage so much. So <laughs> I think my my act is a response to like, oh, you don't want to address the fact that uh, we have like you don't want to give me a sex talk. Well, I'm going to give you one every <laughs> night on the road. So I, I think it's you know I think all art yeah. is a slight rebellion against our parents. So I, I do think it's uh, that's therein lies the truth. Okay, so um, huh, I'm uh, I'm currently in negotiation. Uh, to get back with my ex-boyfriend. Thank you. Um, we've broken up seven times in five years, so I have no friends left. And so if anyone wants to like hang out after the show and just read through it. Really? I would love for that. I just need you to read through a couple texts from him just to give me some perspective. I need some fresh eyes on these things. So... It won't take long. I'll just choose one of you and quickly airdrop 30 to 1,000 screenshots of text conversations between us because that's all that's in my phone. Uh, I hope you like reading blue. I'm not doing well in these conversations. (laughs) That's all that's in my phone. Text between me and men who will never love me and, uh, and naked pictures. I send those and I shouldn't. I shouldn't. The cloud is not secure, but like... Neither am I, and I need constant validation. I don't, I don't put my face in the pictures, though, um, mostly because he asked for them that way. But also... Some of these subjects on stage that you were just talking about, I mean, you talk about your teeth a lot. 
Yeah, I do. <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't even realize that, but you're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, and you use it in about in five different ways. Uh, you know, you had buck yes. teeth and what, yes. what the kids called you, a yep. beaver. And yeah. The, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I've had Invisalign since um, Trump was first, the first, his first day in office. That's when I got Invisalign and I still have it. I still have I'm still trying to fix my teeth. And that's the weird thing. It's like also a thing I s- currently struggle with is, um, yeah, it was the first thing I got made fun of and like felt made me feel like ostracized in school was having buck teeth. And then I finally got braces and fixed that. And then I stopped wearing my retainer and they kind of started bucking out again. <laughs> and then I tried to fix it. And it's still a thing. I'm like, I can't give up on braces because I'm just trying to perfect my smile, which is this thing it's that and that no one can even see what i see anymore that's a problem you know i'm yeah. kind of like obsessed with it um and so you're that's so interesting that you were able to oh, realize yeah. that through line here's what i've learned from this conversation the stage yes. is your safe place it, it is i feel i you know i always saw i remember one time watching Chappelle, and i turned to my friend we, I was in the comedy cellar and I was downstairs and I turned to my friend and I go god look at that guy I go he is more comfortable up there than I am in bed like <laughs> there's just a relaxedness to what he's doing that I, I can't even imagine being that yeah. relaxed on stage and that is why I spend so much time on stage is not only because I do feel good up there but I've wanted to achieve that level of like I've done this so much there's nothing to worry about up here and I truly feel that way on stage now uh, when I walk out on stage there is no tension. There is no part of me that's like, oh, what am I going to say? What if this doesn't go right? And I think that's the greatest gift you can give to an audience that comes to see you is that they don't have anything to worry about with you. Like you're in good hands because everyone's yeah. biggest fear is public speaking. Not everyone's, but most people's. Most people. And yeah. yeah, when there's this in an audience, I I know from being in audiences, like I just am like, oh my God, are they going to be okay up there? Like you just kind of worry, even though they, you know, they're a professional. I like that now I can assure my audiences, you know, and this has been 20 years in the making that I am, I am, you know, I've gotten my 10,000 hours at this point almost, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm better up there than I am anywhere else. I'm more honest there. I'm more comfortable there. I, I can do more in front of a microphone and say more than I could in, in a therapy session. And and That's that true. is 100% true because I have said things in therapy and my, my therapist will be like jaw on the floor. Like, I can't believe you just told me that. Thank you so much for this is a safe space. And I go, oh, I just literally said this on stage last <laughs> night. Like, I, I kind of was working it out for you. And she's like, you said People and I'm like, yes, it's easier for me for some reason. So I'm so grateful that that's the case. I don't know what's wrong with me that that's the case, but there's something that makes me feel more at ease if I'm able to, you know, do it under the umbrella of it's entertainment. Like it's um, there's it's just it, in it. There's nothing that makes me like hyperbolize in a way or exaggerate. I mean, of course, I do that for the sake of entertainment, but the real trueness comes out in myself when I'm in front, uh, when I'm on stage or in front of a camera or with a microphone in me, it's just, uh, it's the truest form of my human self. And thank God, because it's a, it's a great career. (laughs) All right. That is comedian Nikki Glazier. She's been coming back to Chicago at the Genesee theater early next year.